you, this might be your first Good Friday service. And uh, typically at a Good Friday service, uh, it's a somber uh, time. It's a time of reflection. It's a time for us to still ourselves and to quiet our hearts. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday, and that was a celebration service. And this Easter is coming up, and that's going to be a celebration as well. But Good Friday is a time for us to still ourselves uh, and to be quiet. Last Sunday for Palm Sunday, we saw that we celebrated Jesus' triumphal entry. And we had our kids walking through the sanctuary, and they were waving palms. And it was quite the celebration. We had Jesus that was uh, coming, the coming Messiah, Hosanna in the highest. And the kids got to walk around, and they got to sing, and everybody was celebrating Palm Sunday. And that's the way it would have been for Jesus as well when he walked through the town. We saw our passage in uh, uh, Matthew 29, or Matthew 21, verse 9. The crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And the crowds had gathered to celebrate Jesus' coming. It would only be a few more days before we see Jesus move from a celebration to crucifixion. That to me is shocking that it would be just a few days after they were celebrating the coming king that he would actually be arrested, that he would be tried, that he would be crucified, and he would endure a criminal's death just a few days after the celebration of his coming. We move from celebration to arrest and a trial. Jesus would be brought before Pilate. He would be tried with another prisoner. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 16 and 17, crowds had gathered and he's standing before Pilate and he had the ability to release one of the prisoners. And so Pilate says, There's a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. When they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Several days earlier, we're celebrating the coming Messiah. Just days later, we have Jesus standing before Pilate on trial. And this same crowd that had gathered together to worship him and to celebrate his coming is now being asked, who do you want to release? The notorious prisoner Barabbas. Notorious mean being well known throughout the land for being a very bad guy who has done very bad things. He was the lowest of the low. And he's being compared to Jesus who is called the Christ, the coming Messiah, the promised one. And they have a choice as to who they're going to release. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said to him again, Barabbas, we want him. Pilate says to them, what should I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. Pilate is dismayed about this. News has traveled throughout the land about who Jesus is. He's surprised by the reply from the crowd. 
And he says, why? What has this man done? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Days after the celebration of who Jesus was coming into town. Now we have the benefit today to know how the story ends. But I want you to put yourself back in the scene for that day. One day a crowd celebrating Jesus. The next day they've gathered together to ask for his crucifixion. To ask for him to be killed. And not just killed, they want him to suffer. The crucifixion was the worst possible death that someone could experience. Days from praising to the king to asking for a grueling, suffering death. I don't think I could have seen that coming. And the disciples didn't. Wouldn't be too long after Jesus comes into town that Judas would betray Jesus. Wouldn't be too long after that that Peter would deny Jesus three times and that the disciples would scatter just days after his death. And so the disciples were expecting, as well as the rest of the crowds, a conquering king to come. And what they found was a suffering servant, and they did not want that. People were expecting this conquering king, and the crucifixion was a mystery. It was a mystery to the disciples and to all the followers of Jesus But you know what? It wasn't a mystery to Jesus. See, Jesus knew what was coming. Just a day earlier, we'd find Jesus in the book of Luke withdrawing from the disciples, kneeling down and praying, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, please do that. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus knew what he was Headed to. He knew he was going to be experiencing this horrible death. He knew how bad it was going to be. He knew that it was going to be suffering. And he knew it was going to be terrible. And he knew it was going to be painful. And that he was going to be separated from his Father in heaven to bear the sins of the world upon himself. Jesus knew what he was headed for. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But not my will, but your Yours be done. See, suffering is a horrible place to be. Given the choice, none of us would choose to suffer. I know many of you now are suffering, or maybe you know that someone that is. Maybe somebody you have was close to you, you've lost this past year, and you know the pain of, of separation. We all are experiencing suffering or the pain of loss. You know, it's been so interesting for me to be able to go through this Easter season. I haven't really talked about this with a lot of people, but my wife's halfway through chemo and she's suffering. And this is my first Easter without my mom. You know, it was interesting because I thought I was prepared for it. My mom had a disease called inclusion body mitosis, IBM. It's a slow-moving ALS. She was diagnosed with that 15 years earlier. And she knew when she got that diagnosis that she was headed for a slow, painful death. It's a slow-moving ALS. The body shuts down. The muscles deteriorate. 
She's going to be able to stop, you know, she won't be able to breathe. She won't be able to support life on her own. And her lungs will fill up with fluid and her, she'll get congestive heart failure. She's going to get sick and, and she knows that she's going to be facing this terrible suffering. And she had 15 years of moving towards that disease. And she passed away this um, May of last year. And it was interesting because this passage was one of the ones that my mom and I spent a lot of time looking at. Just being encouraged that she was not alone. We know that suffering is something that we're all going to have to face. But it doesn't mean that we want to do that, right? Nobody, given their own choice, would say, I want to get into a position of suffering. But Jesus did that. He knew he was going to be crucified and what's even more interesting about that is, is that Jesus was in a position to stop that. I prayed for healing for my mom. I prayed for healing for my wife. I prayed for healing for so many people at Springbrook. People are going through pain and suffering, and I wished I could make it stop. That's my prayer for healing, that the suffering would end. And for Jesus to know that he was headed for a crucifixion, And to know that he was able to stop it makes it even that much more meaningful for me. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified, but he also had the willingness to stop it if that was really his desire. He could have gone against his father's will. In fact, the father would have helped him stop it if he had just asked. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's going to be arrested. And when they come to arrest him, Peter draws his sword, and they try to defend Jesus. And Jesus says, stop, don't do that. Don't you know what's happening? This all has to come as a part of my Father's plan. He says in Matthew 26, don't you think that I cannot appeal to my Father in heaven, and he will at once send to me more than 12 legions of angels to stop this? But if that happens, how then should Scripture be fulfilled? Then it must be so. Jesus could have stopped the crucifixion. He could have petitioned his Father in heaven to send 12 legions of angels to put this whole issue to rest. Saved himself, wiped out the bad guys, established himself as the king. A legion is a group of 6,000. A legion is 6,000. 12 legions is 72,000. Jesus had at his disposal 72,000 angels that he could have asked his father to send down to stop what was about to happen. And to put this in perspective, in 2 Kings, there's a king named Sennacherib. He's the king of Assyria. And he's threatening to come up against King David and God's people. In the 2 Kings, verse, in verse 19... In chapter 19, verse 35, it says that at night an angel of the Lord went down and he struck down 185,000 people in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were, there were all these dead bodies around. One angel destroyed an entire army of 185,000 people. Can you imagine what 72,000 angels could have done. Jesus had at his disposal the power to bring this entire issue to an end. Angels were powerful and they were an important part of Jesus's life. 
They were an important part of his life. Angels would appear to Joseph about marrying his wife, Mary. Angels would appear to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. They ministered to him after he was in the desert for 40 days. They had been with Jesus his entire life. Now they're watching this story unfold, and they know that all Jesus has to do is call to bear, and and 72,000 of us will come down and wipe this out. And I can just imagine the angels in heaven looking down, waiting for Jesus to say, go ahead, call us down. These angels have been watching this whole story unfold, and they know that Jesus has the ability and the power to call them down to wipe out all of this evil that's going on around him and bypass the crucifixion. And Jesus says, that's not my Father's will. This needs to come to pass. Angels are powerful. And Jesus could have at his disposal enough to wipe out the crucifixion. But Jesus knew that that was not his Father's plan. Jesus knew that the crucifixion was in his future. And that Jesus knew that the crucifixion was going to be a part of the plan. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. The fact that Jesus took that on himself makes the crucifixion crucifixion even that much more important to us. Knowing that he knew it was going to happen, that he could have stopped it, but didn't. Jesus knew he was going to be suffering this terrible death, and he was willing to do that. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing, he says that Jesus does not consider equality with God something easily to be grasped. He says in beginning in verse 7, that Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Jesus knew he was going to die. He could have stopped it, but he did not. Instead, he died willingly in obedience to his father. And he took that attitude all the way to the very end. He took it through the beatings, the spittings. He took it through the being carrying the cross on himself. He took it through the nails. He took it through the hanging on the cross and lifting him up and the weight of his body, holding, being held up by the nails in his feet and his hands. He took it all the way through to the crucifixion to the very end until he breathed his last. John 19, verse 30, it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit. His ministry was over. His life had come to an end. His suffering was finished. But more than all of that, his mission was complete. He had accomplished his Father's will. His suffering had come to an end. His suffering was finished. But more than that, he had completed what the Father had for him to do. He finished God's plan for salvation. He finished the plan for our debts to be paid in full. He he finished all that God had accomplished for him so that we can freely enter into God's presence, so that we can experience the fullness of God's promises, so that we can have the assurance of heaven and the fullness of life right now. In Romans chapter 5, It says that one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person one would die. He'd give up their life for someone else if they're good. If one of my kids, something happened to them, I would give my life 
for them. I would give my life for my family. One would hardly die for somebody that was even righteous, though perhaps for a good person one would die. I would die for people around me that are close to me. But I don't know that I would die for a criminal or for a murderer. You know, I think there's conditions on who I would be willing to die for. But there were no conditions for Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His one only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. For God shows His love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, and here's the thing about this. We evaluate what's good and bad based on our behavior, based on conditional love, based on how close relationships are to us. But God evaluates each of us based on His standard of perfection. You realize that if you are perfect, you have no need for a Good Friday. If you are perfect, then Easter is absolutely meaningless to you. You have nothing to celebrate. I don't think there's anyone in here that would say that they are perfect. We're all separated from God. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And we are all in need of a Savior. And that's the good news that God showed his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's a very generic term, and it's easy to say that in a group setting. But when one realizes the full weight of that, when one's able to say that God shows his love for me, God shows his love for Richard. Why Richard was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And so this evening we can, we can collectively celebrate the fact that Christ has died for us. But it's important that we each personalize that passage. And that we, that we come to that understanding ourselves. It's important that you be able to say, I understand that Christ died for me for the forgiveness of my sins. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? There's no more important decision in this life. There's no more important decision in this life. Not your job, not your kids, not where you're going to live. There's no more important decision in this life than being able to claim that promise. Do you believe that God sent His Son to die for your sins? I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that? I wished I could go down person by person and say, do you believe? Have you heard that? That is good news. You know, when I first heard that, God just convicted my heart how many people I knew didn't know that. I didn't know any Christians when I became a believer. My wife and some of the guys I met with at church. I knew hundreds of people. And when I made a faith commitment, they thought I had joined a cult. They thought I was crazy. You would be in shock how many people don't know that. I wish I could just go one by one. And if you said, well, I'm not sure, I would love to just be able to sit down and talk with you about that. Amen? Amen? <laughs> That is the most important decision that you can make in this life is is to understand that Christ died for your sins. It's easy for us in a large group to be able to say that God showed his love for us while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. But each of us has got to come to the point that we personalize that and we make our own faith commitment. Going to church is great. It's a celebration. We get to hear about God and it, we get to hear his word proclaimed and the music is good. And, but going to church doesn't save you. Being a good person doesn't save you. 
It's not behavior. God judges us based on his standard of perfection and all fall short of the glory of God. And we have got to get to the point, each of us, where we can say, I understand that. I've claimed that. I believe that. By God's grace, we've been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's the object of our faith that's critical. There's a lot of people that believe the wrong things. But when Jesus is the object of our faith, that's where our security lies. Paul is speaking of faith in Romans chapter 10. When he talks about this issue of faith, he says, well, what does the word say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not just saying the words or being around a bunch of people that believe that, that ensures our salvation. It's the confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins. Only God forgives sins. And and Jesus, through his death on the cross, provides us the hope that we have for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's some of you here this morning that may have never heard this or maybe never understood that. Today is your day. There are some of you here this evening that may have heard this, but you've never had an opportunity to confess with your mouth. Or you might be confused about what that looks like. And and today is your day. If you understand this issue, that is sin is not behavior. Sin is a condition. We all have it. Behavior is an issue. We need to get our behaviors under control. But every single one of us has a sin problem. And Christ is the solution. And when you can wrap your mind around that, and if you believe that in your heart and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is based on an understanding. It's a head and a heart issue. This evening we've come together to celebrate... Jesus, his life, and his sacrifice. Jesus knew that he was going to have to suffer. Jesus could have stopped it, and he didn't. Jesus willingly gave his life for us and went to the cross. And that is the hope of the gospel. That's the good news. And that's where our hope lies. This evening, that might be Something that is news to you. There are times when I really wish I could just sit down and talk to people one-on-one. And You know, I love the opportunity. I love the body of Christ. I love our small groups. I love our ministry team leaders. I love the opportunity of serving together. I love when people come together to celebrate. But we've got to get to the point where we're able to talk about matters of faith in a way that is life-changing. We'll talk about God But the second you start talking about Jesus in your neighborhood or your workplace with your friends, there's a wall that comes up. It's that the gospel is an affront. When we talk to people about Jesus, it's not us that people are judging. It's It's the Word of God. Christianity is not an exclusive club that keeps people out. It's a wide open door that everyone has an opportunity to walk through. 
Our doors are open. They're not closed. And we invite everybody in that has questions. And that's what the hope of the gospel is. And that's why Jesus came to die. And in the midst of the fanfare and the palms and the celebration of the resurrection, we've got this Good Friday day that's packed in the middle that's, that's, that's just reflective of what actually was accomplished for us at the cross. At the end of our service this evening, we're going to be watching a video that kind of has some imagery of what that looks like. I saw the Passion of Christ several years ago. I've only been able to watch that once. It's graphic. And I was talking to some people earlier about, you really think it was that bad? Well, yeah, I think it was that bad. I, it was always the movie part of that. But, you know, Good Friday is about Jesus' suffering. And we can't have the celebration without the suffering. We don't like the suffering, but we can't have the hope of the gospel. We can't have Easter without that. I'm going to ask you to um, to close your eyes for a moment, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And if you've never had a faith, made a faith commitment, or if you're not sure if you've ever made a faith commitment, um, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. While we're all praying, I'd just like to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe that you sent him on the earth to die for our sins. I believe that when he returns, he's going to gather all of those that belong to him with him to heaven. Father, as best as I know how, I want to turn my will and my life over to your care and your control. God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the hope that I have in Christ. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.